My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am uh, thrilled to have, uh, once again, Todd Palmer with me. Todd is uh, a business coach. He's an entrepreneur, president of Extraordinary Advisors out of Detroit. You can see in the background, he's a huge (laughs) baseball fan. Just a little bit. Um, Todd, uh, he shot me a copy, uh, an early copy of his upcoming book, From Suck to Success. And anybody who doesn't read this book when it comes out is an idiot. It's, uh, <laughs> I was reading it. I'm going, oh my gosh. Uh, anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur, uh, anybody who thinks uh, entrepreneurship is is easy or whatever, it's a great, I thought I, I really enjoyed it. So oh, every aspect great, thank of you. it. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think the highest compliment you paid me uh, when we had a dialogue about the book was you said you shared it with your brother. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, that's, that, that's all I could ever ask for is if you found val- enough value in the, in the, in the copy, to, to share it with others. That's really all I could ever ask for because ultimately, you know, someone recently asked me, why did I write the book? And I wrote the book because I wish I would have had it when I was younger. And I, I think demystifying the journey of entrepreneurship, demystifying what an extraordinary life looks like and, and telling some of those tales from the edge and that you can go to that edge and even kind of go over the edge and still survive that, especially coming out of COVID and other, other things we've dealt with in the last you know, number of years. And I, I want to give people hope. And, and I want to give people kind of a roadmap to build some of the things they want to have. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, look, the one thing I loved about your book, one is, is it, one is mainly written for, it's, it's written for a lot of entrepreneurs. Hey, look, it's, you know, if you, you, you saw it in your own business, when you talk about you're in debt, you know, pretty significantly and you're in this hole and like, how the hell do I get out of this thing? Yeah. It's Harry Potter around because it's going to take a wizard type of deal. Yeah, to you know where you are now, and and you're coaching some high-powered people. But you know, ultimately, the book is great for anybody who's having a career because it's it's hard. I mean, oh, yeah. like if you're in a career and you're in business, or you just you know, in general, look, it's a it's a changing landscape. It's you know, if if you're happy, I mean, I think everybody. Yeah, when I say happy, it's one of those things where. I think most people that are entrepreneurs or are high, highly motivated business people are always looking for that next, that next step. Well, and to your point, you know, happy. So I this, so I still have a coach, and I think you know that. His name is Danny Friedland. He's out of San Diego, California, and we had a long conversation a couple of years ago about the word happy. So I don't know about you, Craig, but when I, when I was a kid, my parents laid out this model for me of a happy life, and you know, graduate high school because some days that was kind of in jeopardy. Go to college, get married, start a family, and just be happy. Dot dot dot. Just mm-hmm. be happy. Mm-hmm. So, in my mid forties, done pretty well on certain you know, certain things. Didn't do so well on other things, but overall, you know, to the outside world, look like I should be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I and my coach says to me, "You know, you were sold a bill of goods that doesn't exist. Because if you really just want to be happy, then." You know, eat chocolate and do other things to spike your dopamine because that's really where happiness comes from. 
is why don't we swap out the word happy for the word satisfying? And here's what a satisfying life looks like. And we talked about some of the highs and the lows that I talk about in the book, highs and lows that, that I experienced with my coaching clients. And if we look back on that journey, there are certainly happy moments, no doubt about it, but there are struggling moments and there are challenging moments. And in those moments, we learn and grow through them. And we have a satisfying journey. If I can have a satisfying day every day with the highs and the lows, then it's a, it's a good life. But if I'm only focused on being happy, I'm setting myself up to fail. Well, the, the challenge everybody you get when you're happy is then you get content mm-hmm. and then you get restless because everybody sits there and says, yeah, it's kind of like I should be doing something. Well, we get, they call it, we get fat and happy. We get fat and happy. And then we get like, fat and happy. Yeah, maybe I should. You know, it's like, if, you know, me personally, if it's like, if I'm just sitting around, you know, it's a sunny day outside on Saturday. I'm like, I should be doing something because if I'm not doing something, something's going to bite me. You know, yeah. yeah, that's the feeling you get. So, well, I think for all of us, it's like, how, you know, how do we define what an extraordinary life looks for us? I know people who are very happy and content having a relaxing Saturday. Maybe guys like you and I, I'm like, well, you know, I got to go do something. I want to go, I want to go accomplish something. I get a lot of satisfaction out of accomplishing things, mm-hmm. but part of before I can accomplish something, I got to struggle so I can learn how to do it. Uh, a friend of mine last week just challenged me. I should learn how to snow ski because I live in Michigan. And as I'm sitting here with eight inches of snow on the ground, that makes sense. Um, I don't want to fall. <laughs> I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to look bad. But the reality is, I bet if I learn how to ski, it'll be a satisfying sport for me to participate in. So I got to get out of my own way to do those things. Mm-hmm. Golf, the, the game of golf was not invented for enjoyment. It was, it was invented <laughs> to create millenniums of mental torture for all the people that went out there and said, if I just missed, if I just hit that putt, I would have shot a whatever. Golf is to me is like life. You can't be perfect. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna miss the, you're gonna miss the easy putt. It's gonna drive you crazy. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's interesting because my first coach, I mean, again, I kind of opened the book with him, was a Division One college golfer, and he for a long time really helped me work on my mindset because that was the biggest thing that was holding me back. And he said, you know, you you you're you're complaining and beating yourself up for the <laughs> shot you missed, and you're worried about the upcoming shot and how you got to get that one perfect. And you got this shot right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Let's, take, let's take all this pretense away. The only shot you have is a shot right in front of you. So just focus on that and then focus on the next shot and the next shot and the next shot. And by the time you're done playing the, the course of life, what, it, what was your score? And what were you, as an entrepreneur, what did you do? And as you learned through that, if you, if you learned that you, know, you can't hit the ball through the, through the woods, well, how did you play around the woods and how did you get through the sand? All those different things. So actually, I think golf, to your point, is a really good analogy for kind of what a satisfying life can look like. Yeah, I just I quit. I gave it up. <laughs> well, I, I so I don't golf either. I play baseball, and baseball is a sport predicated on, on you're really good if you fail seven out of ten times. I used to love golf, and then when I moved to Carolina. I, I put my sticks in the the attic. My 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 clubs are up in the attic, and they've been in the attic for fourteen years. And you know, I'm pretty happy that they're up there. I just don't I don't feel the need to get back on on a golf course again. So it's uh, it just was one of those things where. The constant of if I just hit that shot a little bit better, and it was like it was like consuming to me. So, but I'm, I'm my my I'm a you know, I'm a gym guy now. I'm a I'm a go run on the beach or a go for a, a mile you know, a couple miles swim in the ocean type of guy now. It's That's active, it's enjoyable. It's but I'm not keeping score. I'm just kind of good out there, and I'm gonna go do this for an hour hard, and you know it's one of the things where. 
I, I don't think I'm berating myself over the, the, the stupid drive off of the ninth tee yeah. type of deal. Well, there's always triathlons too. So, you know, but go back to your book. We talked a little bit about Matt Stafford. So you live in Detroit, big I trade do. this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jared Goff coming to Detroit, Matt Stafford going to, uh, to LA. The difference between, you know, a high caliber athlete, a professional business executive, you know, what defines the true professional? What makes the, the, the pro baseball player, the guy who's in the big leagues, that much better than the guy who's in AAA? So, so from my perspective, and, I, and I've talked to people who are professional athletes, I've been really blessed in, through my, my life over the last, last oh gosh, 11, 12 years to, to run into a lot of professional athletes. And I always find it interesting to talk to the guy who, who almost made it and talk to the guy who really made it. And then the guy who kind of was somewhere in between. And then I've, I've been really lucky to, to meet people who actually coach professional athletes. And I always ask them the same question. What's the difference between a triple A ball player and a major league ball player, especially a major league ball player who sticks it out for, you know, five, 10 years. That's a long career. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always say it comes back to their mindset and not their mindset of how they handle winning, but their mindset of how they handle losing the mindset they have when they realize that there are people better than them. I mean, if you think about it, if you're Matt Stafford, you know, we were talk, kind of talking about this earlier, Matt Stafford was Clayton Kershaw's catcher in high school. I mean, can you imagine being in that graduating class of, you know, two highly successful, highly compensated, highly, you know, publicized professional athletes, mm-hmm. and you're the third guy on the team? Where's that guy? Oh, he's probably just running some $700 million company on the East Coast. Right. Yeah, but he's still not Matt Stafford or Clayton Kershaw. It's how do you show up when you lose? How do you manage your, how do you regulate internally? How do you learn through those disappointments? So if you're the best player, or the best athlete in your state, or the best athlete in your region, and then you're, the 25th man on the Dodgers roster, your rookie year, like Kershaw was, or, you know, your, your Stafford, you go to Georgia and your, your third string, your, your freshman and sophomore year, for example, how do you handle those things? A lot of coaches will say that there'll be, there'll be that kid. who's like, he just quits. Like he was the best and he just quits. He just walks off. And you have these other guys who, who just figure out ways to, to learn, to improve. You know, we got Super Bowl coming up. Tom Brady's been in more Super Bowls than any other quarterback in the history of the planet. He was drafted number 199 out of Michigan. He didn't even start at Michigan most of the time he was there. He's number 199. He's been in 10 Super Bowls. He got better. He improved. Mm-hmm. And he figured out how to work with a system. He found a system that worked. He found a coach like Belichick and now Arians who work with him. They play to his strengths. But he also had to give and take. He had to figure out how to be a good teammate, how to be a good player. It wasn't – it really, I think, for a lot of these guys, to, to be a great leader, to be a great athlete, to be a great CEO – how do you figure out where it's not about me, but it's about we? How can I make the team better? How can I improve what we do as an organization? How, how do we go from being all about Todd to being all about diversified industrial staffing? I mean, when it was bad, it was all about me. When it was great, it was all about the team that we put in place to grow that organization to make being 5,000 six times. I didn't do it. They did it. We did it as a collective. Mm-hmm. Now when I'm working with my clients, you know, it's so much of my joy is being the guide of their hero's journey. And it's their journey. I just get to watch it. I get to coach them. I get to help them achieve what they want to achieve. And, and I think going back to the question of what, what makes a great athlete, it's, it's that athlete recognizing and realizing where can I fit in best to the team? 
It doesn't have to be about me. It has to be about we. How can I get better? How can I have constant improvement over several years, several seasons, so that by the time, you know, 10, 15 years in, I look back and I've had a satisfying career. You know, it's interesting. I, I love to use, I think sports analogies, like I, I, sports and business to me, it's it's the same. It's It's about getting better, finding the best teams, building great teams, constant improvement. Um, you know, I think about, you know, and you talk a little bit about it's not, you know, what happens, you know, you think about, all right, so the other guy that's playing Brady in the Super Bowl next week is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes beat out this guy named Baker Mayfield at Texas Tech. Baker Mayfield was the starting quarterback at Tech. He got injured. Mahomes comes in, takes his spot. Baker Mayfield is perennially pissed off. He's got this lifelong grudge against Cliff Kingsbury, the coach. Right. I did get over it. God did you a favor. You know, he, he did you a favor. You moved up to a better team. You went to Oklahoma. You won a Heisman Trophy. You're at Cleveland now making, you know, buku, buku bucks. You know, it's not what somebody did to you. It's what somebody did for you. Well, so um, we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, did, did it happen to you or did it happen for you? Right. In, in Mayfield's case, it happened for him. You even hear Brady talk about it. He goes, like, you know, I was competing against Drew Henson and Scott Dreisbach and Brian Greasy. Well, Henson and, and, and Greasy, I think Dreisbach, all three played in the NFL. So it's not like you're competing against, you know, the, you know, the water boy. You know, you know, Bobby Boucher, you're not competing against. You're, you're competing against <laughs> other top-tier athletes. But if you, and if you take a look at, you know, whether you're a, you know, a startup entrepreneur or you're a seasoned entrepreneur, there's a lot, there's a lot of collateral damage on that highway. There's a lot of people who, who couldn't handle the competition. There's a lot of people who gave up for, and quit for a variety of different reasons. Mm-hmm. But that, that mental ability to, to learn forward, you know, and you know, they, they talk a lot about failing forward. But, you know, through failure, we learn. We don't learn from success. Tom Brady, mm-hmm. the only thing Tom Brady's learned from winning the Super Bowl is how to hoist the trophy. He hasn't yeah. dropped it yet. So if he drops it next weekend, fine. But he's learned how to do that. It's, mm-hmm. it's that ability to grow and lead. And it's that ability for, for Brady or for whomever to say, you know, this is happening for me, not to me. I got, I got a quick story. I got, I got to tell you this. So my coach, Danny Friedland, found out in November that he has stage four cancer. A little bit about Danny's background is he's a brain surgeon by training. He's a medical doctor who studied the brain. So as soon as he received the diagnosis, he knew his, his runway in life was re- reduced significantly. I remember when he called to tell me that I've been with him for seven years. I'm his longest standing client and he's literally changed my life. He's literally, hands down, he's the forward, he's the opening and he's the closing of my book. He's that important in my life. That's how valuable I find my coach to be. And he tells me this and I'm devastated and he looks great on the screen. I'm like, well, this is really nice of him to kind of put on that brave face, right? I said, I got, I got two questions for you. How are you smiling? And what did you, what was your reaction when you found out? When I found out, I was devastated. And I had about two days worth of massive fear. Matt just uh, he, he was just paralyzed by fear. Then he made a choice. Now, this is the kicker. He decided, and that's why he was smiling that day, the cancer is happening for him and not to him. Uh, that blew my mind. I said, tell me more about that. He's like, cancer will be the defining moment of my life, just like being in the POW camp was the defining moment for Stockdale, etc. Mm-hmm. This is he goes, this is going to be part of my legacy. I will learn more from cancer. I will be teaching people literally what it's like to go through the diagnosis, what it's like to potentially get bad news and what it's like to potentially die. I'm going to teach the world that that'll be my gift to the world. Mm-hmm. This will be my defining moment. 
And I was blown away. So anybody who's curious about Danny's story, go to YouTube. It's the Living Well From Within series, Dr. Daniel Friedland. Um, and that's really what he's taught me is that this all happens for us, not to us. During mm-hmm. COVID, COVID happened for me, not to me. I lost six stages in three countries to speak from. In the absence of that opportunity to travel and losing what I thought was the ability to be in front of my ideal customer audience as a coach, I, I uh, finished my book and I grew my coaching practice 300% because I showed up differently. I decided to th- decide that this is happening for me, not to me. And I would challenge anybody listening today, if you've got something that you're struggling with in life, is it happening for you or is it happening to you? COVID for me has been like a mixed bag. I mean, all of a sudden now where, you know, it was like, it was like my, oh crap moment. I'm seeing the future. I'm like, you know, this may work out just fine for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, once again, you know, once again, like I, you know, I, I tell people it's, it's, it's a lot of, you got to go find the opportunity. You know, where's the opportunity somewhere in that furball is opportunity and, and oh, you got you to go dig it out. But on the flip side too, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I mentor a lot of kids in college They're graduating. And, you know, we, we talk, we do interview preps and we talk about, you know, what jobs are good. And then I talk to a lot of executives who are changing careers. And the first question they ask and a lot of questions they ask is what's next. If I take this job, what's next? Doesn't matter. What's next. Is there room for growth? Doesn't matter. Well, success is one of those things where if you go into this role and you're successful, growth and success will find you. If you go in and you're not successful, it's a very short conversation. Absolutely. Um, and it's yeah, all under your control. And it's all under your control. So think about, this, it, it kind of comes back to what you said earlier. Think about what's what's in front of you, the shot that's in front of you now, and how do you make it good? Then you worry about the next shot. Well, and why, and why are you taking the shot? And why are you even playing golf? You know, for me, it was, why do I coach? Why mm-hmm. am I even doing this? There's so many other things I can do with my time. I can go back to being a CEO. I could take a great job and go grow another business. And that's all fine and good. I can start another company. Those are all options I have on the table. Why do I coach? It takes me back to 12 years ago when I worked with Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. We did, spent two years to figure out my two words. I improve lives when I coach. I improve the lives of my clients. I improve the lives of their families. I improve the lives of their staffs. And I improve my life. It's the complete akuna matata. It's my circle of life. So if I can't improve lives from being on stage in South Africa where I was supposed to be, well, that's true. That's just, it's just not an option. Well, where else can I show up? Show, can I show up on Craig Pickens' podcast? Could I show up on a virtual stage somewhere else? This is a new thing, Clubhouse. Should I show up on Clubhouse? Where, where do I show up to improve lives? Because it's about servant leadership. And if, and if I give the right message to the right person and it lands with them, mm-hmm. then they may want to engage me for coaching conversations or not. Um, I, I mean, I've helped more. I did a program where I talked to 42 CEOs in 67 days for free because they were in chaos and crisis. And I didn't get a single client out of that. And that's okay. What I've gotten though is I've been referred from that group to three other people who've now engaged me for coaching because of, they're like, dude, it was awesome that you did that. Why would you, you know, you gave them incredible advice and, you know, you help people literally help people stay in business. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you're the kind of, you put that goodness out. It attracted me and, you know, it's branding 101. If I'm an authentic leader and I'm an authentic coach, I believe that I will attract authentic clients. If I'm all about me, 
that I'm going to attract clients who are all about themselves. Well, it's, it's branding brings mm-hmm. in the good and it repels the, the ones we don't want. Great business leaders don't make themselves better. They make everybody else better. And could, I, I wish I would have said it that concisely. <laughs> That's, you know, you think about every really great CEO out there made people better um, in some way, shape, or form. For sure. know, I think yeah. about a CEO that I worked for. I, you know, when I first met him, I thought he was a complete ass. <laughs> I won't cuss. Um, we had a harsh conversation, which it was one way I was on the receiving end of it. But I walked away from him like, you know, he's right. And then from evermore, we got along great. And yeah. and it was like, yeah, hey, look, he made, yeah, I understood exactly now. And from then on, I, exa- I understood exactly what was in the mind of a CEO and what he was looking for. To the point, yeah, CEOs have to have those conversations. Yeah, but but it's like, hey, look, it's about sometimes the harsh conversations are the ones that make people better. Oh, absolutely. It's not the, yeah, it's not the, yeah, everybody in the world today, they want a safe space and they want, you know, they want somebody nice and they want, look, sometimes the best thing you're going to hear is the harsh reality that needs to be told. I'm a big fan of psychological safety in the workplace. And part of psychological safety is trust and honesty. And I build trust and honesty by being real with you. By mm-hmm. telling you where your shortcomings are, where your limitations are, where your growth opportunities are, and what you need to do to get better. It's mm-hmm. just that simple. It's the leaders who, who, who are avoiding that uncomfortable conversation because it makes them uncomfortable. And they're really letting their teams down. They mm-hmm. just, just, all right, I, I was sitting with a room of, of CEOs and I, and I was there for about three hours. And I asked some, I asked, I, I didn't speak for about three hours, which my family finds shocking um, that I could sit there and be quiet for so long because I was absorbing. I was listening to absorb, not to respond because I wanted to take in the vision of where this organization wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I asked two really hard questions. And it, it was really, the room got really uncomfortable. Everybody got really quiet. The leader speaking at the front of the room to his 1 million percent credit, took the questions in. And he, and he thought about them and he gave very thoughtful answers, but also left space for, I'm not really sure about some of the things you've asked. Those are really hard questions. Part of a job as a leader is to ask the tough question. Part of the, leader, uh, part of the job of a leader is to take that feedback. And part of the job of a leader is to speak last often, mm-hmm. not speak first. So many, so many charismatic leaders want to blab at you, talk at you, and you realize you read the room as an employee saying, well, I better go along to get along or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be out on the street looking, you know, mm-hmm. you know, eating eat out of dumpsters worrying about where my next meal is going to come. So I better follow this charismatic leader. Whereas if a good leader does what is right. So the leader you talked about just dawned on me, like that leader cared about you because he was willing to have a tough conversation with you because he could have just glossed over. He could have just fired you or whatever. Yeah. That's what leaders do. They care because they have the tough conversations, just like good parents. I think good leaders are the ones that push you, they strut, they, they push you, they challenge you. They, 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 yeah. they, they, you know, they, they, they're like, Hey, look, you know, they bring the best out of you by, you know, look, they can do it nicely or they can like capricious behavior is capricious behavior. Right. You know, someone who's all over the place and is capricious. Yeah. That's just a, yeah, that's just a knucklehead. That's not a good leader, but a good, you know, look, you can have a guy like Jack Welsh who, you know, is, 
you know, it was, you know, back in the day it was tough as nails, but had a good reputation for building leaders. His legacy will still is, is yet to, uh, is yet to be defined, I think now. But yeah, the one common thread is that he built good leaders and he understood how, how an organization should build good, good leaders. Um, you know, like one of the best, I, I think about one of the best instructors I had in flight school, a guy was a complete, you know, he's a, a complete jerk, mm-hmm. but he pushed you right. to be better. He pushed you to really, he drove you hard to make you better, to think about it. You're like, all right, yeah, do I, did I enjoy flying with him? No. But was I better for flying with him? Absolutely. You know, that's okay. You know, and that's, 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 you know, I think that's where good leaderships come from. They have those conversations and they're, they're willing to push the organizations, but ultimately it's not about them and their bonus. It's about the other guy and his bonus. For sure. And here's well, how we're going to get it. It, it, it's hard, you know, is, is, I think you, you shared with me in a, in a, in a communication about, you know, there's so much we don't know when we get into leadership roles. There's so much we don't know when we become CEOs. And there's so much we don't know when we start companies. And so it's valuable for that outside influence to come in and share that, whether it's, you know, you're, you're the boss that maybe, you know, you find to be a jerk or, you know, half of my job as a coach is I do two things. I ask really hard questions and I hold my clients massively accountable to what they said they wanted. Mm-hmm. Most entrepreneurs got into business for themselves because they don't want a boss. And I get that. Totally understand that. I didn't want one either. But boy, when my coach said to me, listen, you can make a lot more money. You could be a lot, you could sleep a lot better and you can enjoy your life a whole lot more if you take some guidance and direction versus flying by the seat of your pants in this rugged individualist mindset you've got. I listened. Why? Because I was $600,000 in debt. So the way I was doing it wasn't working. It was pretty self-evident. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we generate through the, the iterative parts of our lives, you know, I, 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 a good friend of mine out of Vancouver, he, he doesn't have one coach. He doesn't have two coaches. He has three coaches. He has a coach for his relationship and two coaches for his business because he realizes, and, and he, he doesn't need to work another day in his life. He just, he's done that well. But what he wants to do is he wants to continue to invest in himself. I mean, I just had this conversation with somebody who wanted to engage me as a coach. And he kept saying, well, the expense, the expense, the expense of, of hiring you. He said, if you see it as an expense, I'm the wrong guy for you. I'm an investment for mm-hmm. you. He goes, well, I'm only getting two hours every time. He said, you're getting 30 years of experience. And I still reinvest in myself because I still use a coach. I use a, I use a co- I, honestly, I use a coach for myself. He's a coach for my relationship. And I use a coach for my baseball swing. So I'm all in on the coaching piece. So it's an investment every time I, I approach it because I'm the only me I've got. I'm a me as a ball player. I'm a me as a partner and a parent. And I'm a me as a CEO and I'm a me as a coach. Mm-hmm. I got to invest in me because people want to re- pull out of that well that is me. I got to put water in so there's water for them to share from. Everybody, yeah. Tiger Woods has got a coach. Butch Harmon was a swing coach for a long time. Um, yeah, Belichick is a coach. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, these yeah. guys and, and, and teams win or lose based on. Yeah, you know, I know at, at one point, like Michael Dell, I think he had five or six coaches when he was well, really. It's same, but it's the same yeah. thing. You buy a stock, you buy a, yeah, you buy you buy Apple. I don't know what Apple is at, one hundred and thirty bucks a share or whatever today. You don't buy Apple at one hundred thirty bucks a share because it's a cost. You buy it because you think someday it's going to be one hundred forty or one hundred fifty or wherever it's going to go. Right. Yeah. You know, but I don't think I, I there's there's I don't think enough businesses invest in coaches. And their people, I don't think they coach their people enough. I don't think, 
I, I get critical on business executives that won't invest in, hey, look, my boss won't send me to a conference. Well, right. Why don't you pull your own checkbook out and go yourself? Well, that costs money. All right. What if you met somebody? What if you met somebody at that conference who was willing to give you a job 50, for 50% more than you're making now? Is it still costing money or was, a, was it a good thing? Or, yeah. or what if you went down there and you met somebody who's willing to go buy, you know, put a $10 million purchase order together for you? Is yeah. it? Yeah, it's people. You know, I got a good friend of mine when we were in college, moved to New York City, and I wanted to go see him. He said, Hey, I want to come out and see you. I want to hang out in New York City, never been to New York City. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Well, you can come, but I don't have time to hang out. I said, Okay, because he was, he was pursuing acting as a career. And I said, Well, dude, you're waiting tables. You got plenty of time. He's like, Oh, no. I've got acting class to go to. I said, how can you afford an acting class? He goes, you're looking at it the wrong way. How can I not afford acting class? Because I said, well, you've got rent and you've got this. He's like, I will defer my rent. I will irritate my landlord. I've got to show up to acting class. I'm investing in my craft. I'm going to make this a career. So we would have been about 22. He's still a paid professional actor. He's worked for 30 years on stage, on screen, because he invested in himself. Mm-hmm. And, and when I hear him tell that story, these, these, these young people who say, I can't afford an acting coach. How can you afford not to have an acting coach? Sure. You know, it, it, it kills me. I watch it on social media, Instagram, Facebook, you know, buy my course, become a coach. You see these, mm-hmm. these people, there might be great content in there. So I've never done it. Here's what I will say to anybody who's looking to hire a coach. If you're going to hire a coach and you've got a, a, a business or you want to go into business and you're going to hire somebody who's never been there, done that, survived that, you're, you're setting yourself for, up for disappointment you might as well just buy the coaching book and just teach yourself mm-hmm. because you're going to run into those days where you're not going to make payroll, where you're going to think about closing the doors, where you're going to make some difficult decisions. And if you make those in a vacuum by yourself, well, then you're going to get the results that you got. When I lived in a vacuum by myself, I got $600,000 in debt, not a good use of my money or my time. Uh, I, I freaked out my kid. He thought we were gonna lose our house. You know, I, it was just awful. And I, and I didn't sleep and it was just terrible. When I put my pride and ego aside and I hired my coaches, and I talk about this all in the book, it, 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 it changed my life. It changed my perspective of the outside world. But the biggest thing, these coaches, and this is what I had to learn was in order to change my outside world, I had to change my inside world. I had to show up differently internally. I had to deal with myself. I couldn't blame the world. I couldn't be a victim in a martyr every room I walked into that, uh, you know, well, uh, this would have happened if this other person would have done something. No, no I, gotta, I gotta own my space. I got to own my authenticity. I got to own the fact that maybe I didn't do a follow-up call to a prospect or I dropped the ball on something. That's mm-hmm. no one else's fault. Those are my choices. So really, if you want, if people want an authentic life, they want an extraordinary life, they want an extraordinary business, it all starts inside out leadership. Yep. Yeah. Well, well you talk about in the book, you know, the, 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 what is it? What do you say? What do you call it? The head, the head firefighter or the chief arsonist, right? Yeah. And they're all, one, a lot of times they're all one and the same. Yeah, you know, we, we love as entrepreneurs, we love to solve problems. We love to put the fires out. My staff was really good. It's like, dude, you love putting these fires out. Vice president comes in and she's like, you've got to stop starting the fire you just put out. Exactly. I'm like, how, how dare you say that? I, you, you couldn't, really? Did I really do that? Oh my gosh, I did? Really? And she, was, and she was very clear on how I did it and how I took the credit for putting out the fire I started. So I'm the chief arsonist and, and I'm the, the greatest firefighter in the world. And it comes from the fact of, for me, at least, my imposter syndrome was still very prevalent. My itty-bitty shitty committee was meeting in my head telling me how I still wasn't good enough and how I wasn't as good as my friends and how I wasn't as good as my EO peers mm-hmm. and my YPO peers or whomever. When the reality was, like going back to your golf analogy, 
if I just compete against myself in the sport, I'll have, I will have a satisfying round regardless. Now I'll make mistakes, but I'll also pivot improvements. People would talk about practice. You know, Alan Iverson, practice, practice, practice. There's good practice and there's bad practice too. If I think by doing the same thing over and over again, I'm going to get a different result with my golf swing or my business Mm -hmm. and I don't get someone else to look at that. then yeah, I'm going to get what I get. Right. I mean, a lot of people, that's the same thing. A lot of people go to the driving range and they'll practice a really crappy golf swing. Yeah. Or or I love the guy. This is my favorite guy. The guy who goes to the driving range who practices with the club he swings the best. Just because. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm all about playing to your strengths. I I love the work of, you know, Marcus Buckingham and David Rendell and all these great thought leaders around play to your strengths. The reality is you got to, you got to drive short game and you got to putt. You got to be proficient at as many of those aspects as possible. Mm-hmm. And, or at least get better at them. You don't have to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, just like with our businesses, if you're a great visionary in your company, you don't have a strong integrator, someone who gets things done, then you're going to have a bunch of vision and no direction. Mm-hmm. If you're a really good executor, but you have no vision of where you want to go, then you're only going to get so far. It, it, it takes a tribe. It takes a team, but it's inside out leadership to recognize where your limits are. Cause everybody's got them where your strengths are. Everybody also has those. And how do you take that, put those into your world. So you go get where you want to go. That's a good point. It's a good stopping off point, I think, though, too. Well, hey, Craig, I, I thank you so much for having me back on the show. I always enjoy our conversation. I love, I love having you on, Todd. It, 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 I could, I could go on the conversation. I could go on with this conversation for like three hours. To be honest with you, you want to go that long? We, we can keep going, and we just have you back. How's that? <laughs> I, I think we should give your your audience a break, but there's always an opportunity to come back. Let's do this. Let's. Uh, your book. When is your book officially released? So the book comes out on February 9th. From Suck to Success, A Guide to Entrepreneurship. You can find it on Barnes & Noble. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, we're launching a website for it from sucktosuccess.com. Uh, my website, extraordinaryadvisors.com, will, will have a link to it as well. Um, from Suck to Success, Todd Palmer out of Detroit. I've read the book. Loved it. It's great. Um, it's quick read, too. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's not a... What was the what was the book? What color is your parachute? Which was like about yeah. that that yeah, thick. So yeah, I, I, had I, all I these ac- had all these exercises. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't write a phone book. Yeah, they, so I, I, the one yeah. thing I liked about the book was it's genuine. It was written from the heart, and 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 it's your own personal experience, and it's like it just hits home. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to be an entrepreneur, or you just want to be a better business ex- executive, I think it just kind of hits home in a lot of different. A lot of different ways. So oh, February you, 9th on Amazon? Or it'll be, it, yep. It'd be, yeah, check it out on Amazon. Um, like I said, it comes out on the, on the 9th of February. Uh, check it out. And um, if, you, if you like it, leave a review. If you don't like it, email me at toddedextraordinaryadvisors.com. Tell me what you don't like because I'm always curious. I want to I wanna grow as a leader. I want to grow as a, a coach and grow as an author. Um, now, if you, if you write me and say it's really hard, well, that that's what you get. It's, it's, it's hard work, but it's satisfying work. And, you know, I've literally watched clients grow their revenue 70%, their profits 500% by applying these principles. Love it. Thanks Todd for coming on. Craig, thank you so much, man. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig and NorthstarESG.com or check us out at www.NorthstarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.